Well, today's the first part of our um, series we're doing. We're doing Sex and the City Hill. We're going to be doing five weeks of sex, non-stop, back to... B oh, no, that's, that gets wrong there. Um, but um, we're going to be doing that for five weeks. Um, we're going to be looking at a number of different things. Next week, it won't be me speaking. My wife is going to be speaking. Um, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. I've already been chatting to her about that. She's a bit nervous, but it's going to be epic. Um, so she's doing that week. The, weekend, the week after that, um, I cannot give away any details, but I'm working on something really quite cool. And then the following week after, we've got Jahazel in the building, and he's going to be talking about porn. I thought I'd drop that on him instead of me. So um, that's going to be a fantastic week. And then finally, we're just going to kind of wrap up and close things. But we're going to kind of go on a journey. And um, I had the whole talk set up, but then yesterday, on our way back from a friend's house, my wife did this motivational talk in the car, which kind of like drop kicked my talk out the window. I was sitting with her, and she did this amazing thing where she goes, you know, I love it in a series when they, you know, they start off like, at the beginning, you know, I hate it when they just come in, start talking about things and they haven't laid down the foundation for it. And I was sitting next to her like, yeah, 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 I totally hate that, I totally hate that. <laughs> I was like, oh, pants. So like, I got in and got all the books out and started to have a look at a few things. Um, it all starts kind of in Genesis, as you would imagine. Um, God's first ever command for us and for his creation is to get jiggy with it. It's right there in um, Genesis 1 verse 28. And God blessed them. He said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, if that is not insinuating to bang like bunnies, I don't know what is. Because <laughs> fill the earth, it is a big place. And at this point, he is talking to two people. That's a lot of sex. So um, God is definitely pro-sex from the first chapter of Genesis. Somehow we've gone from thinking God is so anti-sex. The first command he has is like, yeah, get on it. Go for it. Whoa, whoa. That's kind of what he says. That's Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. And then the first time it actually kind of seems to, we hear of it happening. Could have happened loads of times before then. But um, we see in Genesis 4, so just four chapters in, so the Bible straight away is banging on that sex drum. Uh, it says, Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore Cain. And then in verse 17 it says, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And then it says again in verse 25, Adam knew his wife again. Wow, you got to know her really great. And um, she bore a son and named him Seth. So there's this word that appears here, and so I thought it'd be good to kind of get an understanding of how they see sex, because it says new. And I remember, I don't know about you guys, but when you kind of grow, I grew up in church that has its pros and its cons. One of the pros was um, sitting through really boring sermons. And um, I remember, like, if you got your toys out and played with them, sometimes you got licks. So, like, you wouldn't get your toys out because that could get kapow in the middle of service if you make noise. You couldn't sit and chat to your friends because that also got kapow. Or if you didn't get hit, there'd be, like, one of those African mamas in the church that um, embodied Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. I mean, he would look at you and go, and want you to spontaneously combust. They know how to do it. Um, they just look at you and everything inside just says, Lord, I want to die. <laughs> Their eye contact is like Superman beaming these laser beams into my head. It burns. That I don't even know they're looking at me, but I can feel the laser burning in the back of my head. So in church, you had to find a spiritual way or a, a way of looking spiritual, but being naughty at the same time. 
And that was for me with my mates flicking through the Bible going like, he knew her. (laughs) I love that. As soon as I found out in the Bible when it said he knew her, it meant they got jiggy with it. Oh man, that was a great day in church history for me. I remember in a conversation once, one of the older guys in church goes, oh, do you know this young lady? And I'd be like, no, but I would like to. Um, I I remember those kind of conversations. All the guys would be like, he said he knows, but he'd like to. And the guy's looking at it like, oh, let me introduce you. No, 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 I I do know her. I do know her, just not. And then they go, he knows. It got really complicated. But um, it's just one of those things that always kind of amused me in church. And so I thought it'd be key to kind of look up how they saw that, what that meant in their language. And actually... Today's talk is called yada, 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 because um, we're going to be talking a lot about sex. And um, the Hebrew word for sex in this passage is yada. And um, it's a bit confusing because um, we use that word meaning etc, etc, etc. But the reason we have that understanding is because a Jewish lady on a program called Seinfeld was talking about sex and she didn't want to go into detail about what the sexual things she was doing. So she went yada, yada, yada in conversation. And so we all got this worldview of like saying yada, yada, yada meant like um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But she meant sex, sex, sex. <laughs> but um, it became a part of our culture. Um, and so this word yada means in certain contexts, um, sex. Sometimes, it, most of the time when it's used in the Bible, it, it, it means like a really kind of intimate relationship, like marriage. Other times, um, it can mean just anything sexually. Other times it can mean to know something, to gain a piece of information. Sometimes the Bible talks about God wanting to know us. It doesn't mean God is wanting to like, yeah, get jiggy with it with us. That's not really what it's kind of saying. But um, I always thought it strange and odd. But actually last night, as I started to look into their culture, their society, the way they view things, I actually found it really, really precious. You see, you know that moment when you first start dating, when you first meet someone. I remember when I first met Jodie. Um, and we were just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just love her face. First moment, Joni, she went, oh. It was, it was like Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, oh, going to talk about me. Oh. And when you first meet, I remember like we would just like talk and talk and talk and talk for hours and hours and hours on end. And it'd be like, oh, it would be MSN, it'd be on the phone, or we'd be like just laying on the floor, looking at the ceiling, or watching a movie, or whatever. Just talk, 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 talk. It's like, I want to know you. I want to get to know you. In our society, I guess sex has become very separate from that. It's become very separate from knowing a person. It's become just like a pure animal instinct thing because sex, as we see in the first chapter of Genesis, is about reproduction. It's a natural instinct. It's a natural body function. Um, Other people have it like, oh, sex is is like poo and pee. If you need to poo or pee, do it. You need to have sex. Go for it. Um, Sometimes it's like pursue these bodily passions, pursue these kind of things. But for them, their understanding was was really different. It all hinged on a real sense of intimacy, crazy sense of intimacy with one person. And what I find amazing is as we look at this word and the picture we get portrayed, and if we look at the scriptures consistently all the way through, and if we look at Paul and how he talks about sex and how he talks about marriage in particular, the relationship between a husband and his wife, and at the end he kind of drops this bombshell and goes, actually I'm talking about Christ and his church. He just like flips that and drops it. Because for them, their understanding was it was all about knowing a person. It was this real level of intimacy. Now, when sex was done in a way that was wrong, their word for, for that would mean uncovered. Mean uncovered. 
And it would all hinge around this great moment in Genesis, this big moment that changed everything, where they had this fall and they realized they were naked. And for a Jewish person, their greatest shame is being stripped naked. And when Jesus was naked and crucified, it was like this pure identification with everything from the beginning and everything that had gone wrong and him kind of bringing us out of that. And so their understanding of sex when it comes to immorality, whenever they use that term in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it literally means uncovered, like nakedness. It says literally in, in the law, in Leviticus, do not uncover your mum, do not uncover your sister. There's nothing really that wrong with seeing like your sister or your mum naked. When you're a little kid, you see that. And it's not like, oh, this great sin has come upon us. I have seen my sister naked. We were in the bath. I'm an only child. I never saw any sister naked. It didn't happen. I just saw me naked. Um, You know what I mean? You didn't really see that. But like as a kid, these things, that they weren't big significant moments. But when it uses that word, and in their culture, they'd have understood what it would have meant is like, don't have sex with your mum. And don't have sex with your sister. And so when they use this word, and we see it in our Bible as sexual immorality, if it's in the Old Testament, it's talking about being uncovered. It's just the way that they see things, the way they describe things is so, so different. But actually, it's not just about sex, and it's not just about sexual immorality. It's not about it being right, and it's not about it being wrong. Because when we talked a little while ago about guarding our hearts, and we said, the Bible says, above all things, guard your heart. And how they view the heart is really quite unique. I just want to read something to you. Here is an example of how our modern Western culture still using a concrete object to express an abstract idea. We often associate the heart with emotions such as love and kindness, as in, he has a good heart. This is also true with the Hebrews, who saw the heart as the seat of emotion. But unlike us, they also saw the heart as the seat of thought, whereas we see the brain as the seat of thought. To the ancient Hebrews, the heart was the mind, including all thoughts, including emotions. We are told to love God with all our heart in Deuteronomy 6, 5. It's not speaking of an emotional love, but to keep our emotions and all our thoughts working for Him and His purposes. The picture is, in this Hebrew word, is a shepherd staff. This represents authority, as a shepherd has authority over his flock. The second letter is a picture of a floor pan of a nomadic tent. The tent represents the idea of being inside as the family resides within the tent. When combined, they mean the authority within. In our relationships, and when we talk about sex, we talk about sex in a very um, separated, abstract kind of way. We talk about it as just like the physical reproductive action or just this encounter. But for them, all these words had this overlapped meaning. And so... There was this authority within, there was this knowing, and it wasn't just an emotional knowing, and it wasn't just a physical knowing, and it wasn't just a spiritual knowing. It was all of these things combined. And so for them, the idea was when you took out this emotional side, when you took out this knowledgeable side, when you took out the spiritual side, when you took out the emotional side, you had something which wasn't how it was meant to be expressed and wasn't how it was meant to be. And so the Bible's... um, projection of what it is is so much more complicated and this word yada isn't just like a sexual word it means to know in a variety of different ways it gets used in skills in trades in relationships 
with God, with man, with one to another, all these different kinds of things. And the reason why that's important is because it's not meant to be this thing in isolation on its own. There's a few other uses. I'm just going to throw out a couple. I threw out a couple of uses, which we saw in like um, Genesis um, 4, verse 1, 17 and 25. And all of those are sexual. But like if we look at Proverbs, it says, The righteous yada the needs of their animals. They know the needs of their animals. But the mercy of the wicked is cruel. It's saying the righteous know the needs of their animals and they care for them. So like knowing mercy, knowing mercy is a part of it. Sometimes in our society, if we were to look at sex as an isolated incident, it's used as a weapon. It's used as so many different things, not just emotionally to destroy and control partners, but it's also used in the most brutal of ways. I, was, I subscribe to a magazine called Relevant. It's like a Christian magazine. It's really, really cool. I would get it on my iPad. Absolutely love it. The last issue they had, they talked about um, Congo. Now, I have never heard of a country on this earth more messed up than Congo. Um, nine out of ten women in Congo are raped. Nine out of ten. For women in Congo, it is not a case of if I am raped. It is when I am raped. They use horrible, horrible objects, all sorts of sick and twisted things. And their idea for their soldiers that are fighting over um, diamonds and minimal, min- minerals, copper, and also this special material which is in all our mobile phones. That's the biggest problem in Congo at the moment. Um, it's the only place in the whole planet that has this particular um, metal which is used in all um, uh, new um, smartphones. And so there's all this fighting over these metals. And what these rebel armies say, one of the guys, this famous, famous quote, he says, why waste a bullet when you can rape? Why waste a bullet when you can rape? You can do the same thing and you can save the bullet for a man that you'll need to use later. And that's their understanding. Sex gets used in all these kind of sick and twisted ways. But the righteous, they they know mercy. They know the needs of animals, let alone human beings. But this is the world we live in. And sometimes we look at it and we look at like this argument that um, um, we don't, the moral argument is, well, God doesn't exist and we don't need God for morals because we live in such a moral world where we all sit here thinking we're sophisticated with our smartphones and these different kind of things. We don't even know the things that we're supporting. Not that there's much we can do. Congo is such a crazy situation. I don't even know what the solution is. But it's just, just to give you a perspective, that's how, how sex is, is used in other, in other places and other environments. And actually, the more and more I talk to people, more and more women, there are probably now more women I know and talk to that have been raped or sexually assaulted than haven't now. It's, it's, it's like that. And in our society, most of the time, we think we're like a really moral society, but actually a lot of the time, these things don't get reported, and sometimes families put pressure not to report them and don't deal with them. But we'll get to that um, in a, over the course of the series. And then another use is one of the prophets, Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 22, he says this, But a beautiful cedar palace, which is a tree, does not make a great king. Your father Josiah had plenty to eat and drink, but he was just and right in all his dealings. This is why God blessed him. He gave justice and help to the poor and the needy, and everything went well for him. Isn't that what it means to yada me? Isn't that what it means to know me? Isn't that what it means to know me? And I think that's kind of where we're going to kind of end and, and dwell on today. Because actually, when we look at, at sex and as it starts off, it's all about knowing. It's all about knowing. Yeah, there's this sexual act that happens, but the context is knowing one another. 
It's knowing who we are in God. It's knowing who this person is, holding them in this respect for who they are. It's this one person that you're with. It's this cherished, it's this holy and sacred act between the two of them. They know God in their place with him. They know God in themselves in their place with that person. And there is this really, really beautiful and sacred encounter. But it is knowing mercy. It's not all about what I can take. It's not about what I can have. It's what I can give. It's what I can bring. It's beautiful. And then here, it's all about justice. And it's about, isn't that what it means to know God? That is why God blessed him. He gave justice, justice, help to the poor and the needy. And everything went well for him. Isn't that what it means to know me? You see, I think what it's really about more than anything is actually about a true and pure sense of intimacy. And um, we've just taken um, the instinct of the sexual reproduction and made that the be-all and the end-all of it. And we've made it a thing which is about self-gratification, which is really just the worship of yourself to the depravity of the other person which is really quite sick and twisted. Whereas actually what the Bible teaches is about yada. It's about knowing. It's about this holistic knowing and respect and holiness and sacred act with this person and also with God. And ultimately, beyond that, I think the only way um, sex, regardless of whether you do the legal um, thing of marriage, which I, I totally am for that, and I totally see that as God's way and his plan for us as a society now and here and now. But ultimately, if you don't, no God. If you don't yada God, I don't think you can really experience um, what it's talking about here, whether you're married or not. I can think of times when um, myself and my wife, I'm not going to share any crazy into Yeah, no, I'm not. But um, I can think of times when it's been more about me. I could, she could probably think of times where it's been more, more about her. I don't know, hopefully. Um, but I mean, there are these times when it can be quite a, a the grin, I saw that. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, don't think about that. We're in church. But um, th- th- where it can be like that. But actually, I think when there's this, this holistic place where we, we know God, know him, where we yada God, I think sex can be totally different. I think it can be totally different. And I think then the focus becomes on this intimacy of how I can give. And we're both thinking about giving and not taking, and not about what we want, but holistically worshiping this God in the way that he made it to be. So that's kind of... Um, the background um, and the start and the foundation for what we're going to go into and the context as we move forward in this series. Because as we move forward, this kind of is the foundation for everything. The, the bigger temptation in marriage becomes like when you first get to know one another, like you want to talk on the phone for hours and hours and hours and all that. But now sometimes my wife wants to talk to me. And you know what the key telling statement is? That sometimes where I just go to her, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. But I don't realize what I'm saying. I'm actually saying something very fatal. And last night, as I was reading this, I went, oh, crap. Oh, crap. The amount of times I say in a week, I don't want to know. It's just, you're, you're talking nonsense. I don't, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. But really, if I think about it, I should, in saying that, if I'm really talking about how God views sex and marriage, I, I'm, I'm technically saying, I don't want to have sex with you. Oh, no, I, I want to have sex with her. But I, I don't want to know. No, no, no. This schizophrenic thing, it's more than just the act. It's everything. I've, I've got to want to know. Otherwise, what I'm saying is, I don't want to know what you have to say and all this kind of nonsense that I don't care about. But yeah, I want to get what I want to get. <sighs> it's not it. It's not yada. It's not knowing your wife. It's not right. It's not what God's into. But there's more than that. The Bible says he wants to know us. 
And God's pursuit and passion for us in Jeremiah when he speaks so prophetically and powerfully is, he, he looks at Josiah and he wants us to be like Josiah. He gave justice. We need to be people who are just because if we know God, that's who we'll be. We need to be people who help the poor and the needy because then everything will go well for us. He'll bless us. But that's what it means to know God. This morning, I want to challenge every one of us. I want to challenge myself as well. And the challenge is this. Do I know God? Do I want to know God? Because if I want to know God, then things like justice, mercy, helping those around me, looking out for others, becomes really important. Because I can't say I know God and do those things. I'm a liar and I don't know him. I don't know him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the context that you've placed sex in. Um, You made it. You know how it should be. And you encouraged it. And it's even your command. It's not necessarily an option. It's something that you're really for. It's a part of your plan for us. Um, Father God, we just ask that you would be with us today. Um, We ask that we would know you. And Father God, for those of us who are courting, fill us with a passion to know the other person, to want to get to know them and put the time and the effort in. Because sometimes we want to run to knowing the person, but we do not know them at all. We have our own desire and our own passion. Father God, help us to do things the way you want, that we grow in knowledge. Father, you talked about Jesus coming back for his bride. Like he has been patient. He's like managed to wait like 2,000 years. <laughs> and we want to rush straight to third base. God, just, just teach us what it means. Guide us, guide our steps, wrestle with us, change us. Help us to want to know one another. And even outside of the sexual connotation of that, help us to want to know one another as a, as a fellowship. But ultimately, God, above all things, if we don't know you, none of those things will be possible. And so this morning, we just come together because we want to know you. We want to encounter you afresh because we know that as we know you, that will touch and change and sanctify all the different areas of our lives. We just invite you here, Lord God. Holy Spirit, come and do what you need to do among us. Come and make yourself known to us. We know that you're here. Make yourself known to us. Jacob said, God is in this place. I did not know it. We know you're here. Let us in on the act. Make us aware of your presence. Make us aware, Lord God, and challenge and be with us, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen.